This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Welcome back, everyone. This is World to Win, and today we have an episode that's extremely important. We're going to be talking about one city, but the importance of this uh, uh, episode is not just for that city. It's for um, the entire world, truly. And so we have two new guests for World to Win coming on the show today. But first, of course, I want to say hello to Yara. Yara, how have you been? Hey, I'm okay. We're, we are kind of in the England, Wales and Scotland section, obviously. We are getting ready for COP26. So we are out in the streets uh, doing loads of public activity, trying to get as many people and especially as many students as possible to go to Glasgow with us. So I'll just put it out there if you're watching and you're not in the US uh, and you, or if you're in the US and you want to pop and say hello in Scotland, make sure that you come to COP26 uh, in November. I was going to say anyone can go, but especially um, those who are in Europe and can get there easily. Um, super exciting. So today we're going to be talking about um, socialist alternative, the international socialist alternatives um, city council member in Seattle. Now we've talked on the show before about the recall campaign that's going on against her, um, but today we have two guests who are in Seattle working on the campaign tirelessly to make sure that we can defend um, the one Marxist elected in the United States. There have been attacks over the years um, from big business against um, Shama in the council office, um, but the, the work that, you know, the International Socialist Alternative has been able to do alongside um, with uh, the council member's office is, uh, yeah, remarkable. And so it's it's super important that we're able to defend this seat against this right wing recall campaign. And we're going to get into exactly why we're saying this is a right wing recall campaign. So first we have with us Emily, who's the campaign manager um, from Seattle here with us today. How's it going, Emily? What have you been up to? Um, thanks totally for having me. Uh, I've been, um, you know, it's been really well. Um, mostly I've been doing a lot of door knocking, um, you know, just constantly for the last uh, few weeks. Um, actually, just this week on Tuesday, I had a really great experience uh, where I knocked on a big house, wasn't really sure how the conversation was going to go. Um, and this woman answered and I had five people registered to vote in the house. And she was like, oh, yeah. We are absolutely voting against that Jim Crow recall. Um, and it was just such a gratifying experience where it felt like we had really like laid the basis politically, even though we hadn't talked to her yet personally, um, where like our campaign's message was really resonating with uh, like ordinary people in the neighborhood. So just feeling really good. Door knocking is a lot of work, but I'm glad that you're able to get out there and talk to people. We also have with us Logan. Um, so Logan, you are in Seattle as well, a member of Socialist Alternative. What have you been up to lately? Besides door knocking, of course. Um, yeah, I've been uh, yeah, uh, volunteering with the campaign, uh, with the Solidarity campaign, and then uh, yeah, about to go back to, to work after um, the carpenters here went out on strike. So uh, been organizing with a bunch of fired up uh, carpenters and building trades workers uh, who were taking on their bosses for a fair contract. So um, yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of excitement here. Thanks, Logan, and thanks for coming. The carpenter strike was absolutely, you know, exciting. Um, we're going to hear about it a little bit later, but if you want to read a little bit more about our analysis on, you know, this historic strike, you can check out socialsalternative.org. We have a couple articles up about that. 
Um, so I'm going to kick it over to Yara. You want to get us started today? Yeah, I actually have a big question for Emily before we start getting into the recall campaign generally, because I feel like the US system is sometimes very confusing for a lot of people outside of uh, of the country. So I wanted to ask you, Emily, if you can explain what recall means, what, is, what are we actually fighting against? So yeah, uh, a recall is basically just a mechanism to remove someone from office. Um, but recalls here in Washington state have a whole series of undemocratic mechanisms kind of baked into the very structure of them. Uh, first, it's the state Supreme Court who actually gets to decide whether or not a recall can move forward. Um, and, you know, as Marxists, we know that courts aren't just neutral arbiters uh, of justice, right? They're tools of the state. Um, and the courts in the US uh, most egregiously also have authorized segregation, driving indigenous people off their land. Um, uh, and that's why the recall on a fighter like Shama Sawa, who led the way on the $15 an hour minimum wage in the Amazon tax gets the green light. Um, where contrastingly recalls brought forward against our thoroughly corporate mayor for authorizing tear gas on an entire neighborhood and also a recall against a right-wing sheriff in another part of the state who refused to enforce a mask mandate amongst his officers during the pandemic. Both of those recalls were deemed frivolous by the state Supreme Court. Um, so yeah, it's just a way of removing an elected official, um, but the basis for the recall charges uh, that in Washington state never have to be proven in court, uh, they then appear on the ballot as though they have been. So a huge thing we're constantly having to talk to voters about is how deeply dishonest the charges are and how the whole recall attack against Shema Sawan is an attempt to criminalize the Black Lives Matter movement and to send a message to the 26 million people who participated in BLM last summer that peaceful protests are unacceptable to the establishment. So what so so you're saying that there needs to, that, that, that there's this message that's being sent but I, I'm trying to understand how it actually works so what what is Shama actually being charged with because there has to be this kind of reason right so just to be totally clear councilmember Sawant hasn't been found guilty of anything it's really important to emphasize because none of these so-called charges would actually hold up even in a bourgeois court the right wing and big business, in fact, are just furious that Sham has been so effective at things like taxing big business, winning renters rights and winning major gains for working people. Um, so the first charge, which, um, you know, which talked to people quite a lot, is that Shama led a march to Mayor Jenny Durkin's house. In fact, that march was planned and organized by families of victims of police violence. These families were rightly outraged that not one officer has been held accountable for the 28 killings by Seattle police officers in the last decade. They're extremely upset also that all of last summer, uh, Durkin uh, used, illegally used chemical weapons on peaceful protesters of so tear gas, blast balls, et cetera, um, for weeks, while she also colluded with the tops of the Seattle Police Department on how to repress the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the families of victims of police violence, they asked Shama to speak at that protest. And I think it's completely correct that Shama stood with those families. Um, so, you know, these are the kinds of charges that we're seeing, right? Is just that Shama, who is elected to be a movement leader, to participate and stand with her constituents, uh, had the audacity to march alongside 26 million people in the Black Lives Matter movement last year. Yeah, totally, Emily. And this is something that actually we've called on a lot of politicians to do to actually join the movement. And, you know, uh, uh, 
join workers, join families to speak out against these atrocities, but also to help build the movement, you know, uh, bigger so that way it can be effective in fighting against police brutality. Also being able, you know, politicians, they're, they're able to um, uh, deal with city budgets and budgets of police, etc. So it makes sense um, that a working class elected official participate in a movement like Black Lives Matter. Um, but I know that's not the only, you know, uh, trumped up charge against Shama. Uh, what else is the right wing attacking her on? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree that, um, you know, politicians, there should be more politicians playing this active uh, role in the Black Lives Matter movement and other movements that come forward from working class communities. Um, another charge that is connected to the Black Lives Matter movement is that Shema led protesters into City Hall for a protest. And that this was after hours and it was during the governor's COVID restrictions where no gatherings at all were permitted. But that protest, which was one of thousands of similar protests uh, happening across the country um, during, you know, uh, the early stages of the pandemic, it was incredibly important. I really can't speak to that enough, right? Um, and the leading role that Shema played in that uh, had a massive impact, right? Which, you know, proves kind of what you're saying, Toya. Um, not only was it really empowering for the movement to see itself in the halls of power by taking over City Hall, um, but it is directly linked to a victory we had just a few short weeks later of winning the first in the nation ban on police use of chemical weapons here in Seattle. Um, and of course, the, the right wing has depicted this protest as a riot. Um, you can see that in the pages of Fox News. But I was there. Uh, I helped MC a general assembly where we had a discussion uh, on what are the next steps for the movement. Just like the civil rights movement, you know, the reality is we are going to need to be prepared to push in a way that is going to make some people uncomfortable. How does change actually happen? Racist segregation would not have ended without bold protest. Sitting at a lunch counter as a Black person, that was breaking the law. Sitting in the front of the bus like Rosa Parks did, that was illegal. Shama didn't break the law by participating in a peaceful mass protest, but she did put herself on the line in a way we need many more politicians to be willing to do. Finally, there's also the charge that Shama used city resources for a tax Amazon ballot initiative. The Amazon tax, for folks who might not know, was an incredible victory. It was a $2 billion transfer of wealth from Seattle's richest to ordinary working people. Shama is accused, she stands accused, of buying pizza, printing leaflets, and posting on her council office blog about the need for an Amazon tax. And she had to pay a small fine for this, um, but in fact, Many council members pay such fines for these kind of minor technical violations. And it's not this technical violation that big business is concerned about, right? They are worried that we won a tax on the profits of the super wealthy, and they don't want that example to stand, and they don't want to see it replicated. What does the argument against you on the ground look like? They're not there out there speaking the truth, saying, yeah, I hate Shama Sawant because she has fought for renters and won victories. And I want to reverse those gains. I want the city to work only for real rich people. That's not what they're going around saying. Right. What they have brought are trumped up charges, uh, completely dishonest. And the, what their, their statement in the ballot, on the ballot, uh, you know, in, in the ballot pamphlet is going to imply that somehow we did some engage in some wrongdoing and our response to that of course makes it very clear that i have broken no law no court has ever find found me to have done uh, something to have broken the law but in fact that these are charges that are uh, both dishonest 
And also there are charges that actually, if you read them carefully, are an attack very clearly against the Black Lives Matter protest movement. Because, you know, one of the charges is about uh, uh, BLM protesters coming alongside me to City Hall. Uh, and uh, on the face of it, it uh, purports to be a concern about COVID. But let me tell you something. The same state Supreme Court that approved the recall against me threw out the recall charges on a COVID-denying sheriff named John Snazza from a local county who refused to enforce the mask mandate on his officers. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it's, I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it's almost funny how they take these little things that actually happen all the time and try to make it seem like, oh my God, this is happening. But like you said, Emily, like council members do things, you know, all the time. They use their resources all the time. And when we elect someone, working people elect someone, we want them to fight for things that we need. And a $2 billion transfer of wealth is something that we as working people need. But I want to go to Logan because, Logan, we're talking about these, you know, this right wing recall um, and the, you know, the powers that be that are, are, are driving this are upset that Shama is building movements to protect black lives, building movements to uh, tax the rich. So can you go a little bit more in depth as to who is behind this right wing recall campaign? Uh, yeah, the right wing recall, you know, they, they've tried hard throughout. To, with support from the boss's media to paint their big business back campaign as you know a grassroots effort. Um, but all you have to do is follow the money and contrast their campaign with ours. You know the majority of donors to our working class campaign uh, by profession are healthcare workers, tech workers, grocery store workers, teachers and construction workers like myself. Uh, for the right wing recall, it's CEOs, business owners, developers and landlords. And these aren't just hapless small business owners. One of the recall's maxed out donors is the top contributor to Donald Trump in Washington state. George Petrie, a billionaire who also happens to be the corporate landlord leading in evictions of working families in Seattle. He's at the top of the list of over 130 Trump donors and over 500 Republicans who have donated to the recall of Seattle's most effective progressive politician. This support from the landlord and developer lobby is every bit connected to their opposition to our historic renters' rights victories and continuing fight for rent control. They hate that workers and renters have a voice and an organizer in City Hall, and they're using every undemocratic tool to strip working people and the oppressed of our political representation. That That is insane, but, but what I really don't understand about this, and Logan, maybe you can kind of sh shed some light over it, is why do the right wing care so much about this one socialist council member in one city in the US? Like, uh, like why are they putting so many resources and so much energy and so many, so many efforts into, you know, counteracting her? Well, Shama's campaigned boldly for raising wages, taxing big business, and fighting to put workers first through an effective movement-building approach that threatens big business and their political establishment. What's more, our victories here embolden workers and youth everywhere. Our breakthrough 15-now vic uh, victory in Seattle spread to cities and states nationally. 
uh, and has created a dynamic where even the Democratic Party establishment has to wrap itself in false support for this demand or risk exposure as the thoroughly corporate institution that it is. Of course, as we have seen, they have absolutely no intention of fighting for it. Uh, but that's the case in Seattle as well, where elected Democrats promise the moon, but do everything they can to obstruct real change. The difference is Chama unequivocally supports and builds our movements, and that puts real pressure on City Hall to either vote in favor or be exposed as corporate tools. We have again and again forced unanimous and majority votes on things that we were told weren't achievable that, you know, or in the Mayor Durkin's words, not going to happen. Um, and, and this is despite only starting with one reliable vote in favor, Chamas. Uh, for years, but especially this summer, we've won incredible gains for renters in this city from banning evictions of school-aged children, their families, and all school staff during the school year uh, to just a couple weeks ago where we won uh, you know, relocation assistance for any renter whose landlord increases their rent by 10%, uh, as well as a six-month notice of any rent increases for tenants. Um, and through these battles, we built a movement poised to fight for universal rent control. Um, like that threatens the political establishment uh, and, and the, the, the bosses, you know, their profits. Um, and then it also, you know, as we've seen spreads across the country, it inspires movements like Tax Amazon in Burbank, California uh, and the Tax the Rich campaign in Chicago. Uh, and that's what, you know, where we threaten the, the profits of big business, not just in Seattle, but we threaten the profits of landlords and big business across the country. The recall campaign itself, which is very uh, dominated by big business interests, corporate interests, especially corporate landlords who are livid at the incredible success we've had in winning renters' rights victories. In fact, just uh, days ago on Monday last week, we won some critical renters' rights in the middle of, you know, in the middle of a recall campaign against us, we have been able to, through our office and organizing renters, we have now won two major laws um, uh, requiring landlords to give at least a six-month notice before any rent increase and requiring landlords, if they raise uh, rents, you know, in the absence of rent control, if they raise rents more than 10% 10 per 10 or more, then and that, that forces their tenant to move, then the landlords owed the tenants three months rent. Wow. This, these are major victories. And we were able to win despite the fact that the, um, you know, the eight Democrats on the council, they're not on our side. They're mm -hmm. not on the side of uh, renters, but they're forced to vote yes on these progressive issues because of how well we have been able to organize alongside renters and union members. And in fact, many progressive unions have been part of this effort alongside Socialist Alternative and my office. So it's no surprise that corporate landlords are angry. And it's not only that they would love to reverse the victories that we've already won. We, they know that if we stay in office, we are absolutely going to push for and win rent control. And we have already started a campaign. In fact, November 30th, just days before the recall election, the Renters' Rights Committee that I chair on the council is going to have a big discussion on our rent control legislation that my office has drafted. So it's clear where the battle lines are drawn. Uh, and of course, Amazon uh, S-team executives are also part of this. So it's in general, it's big business interests that are aligned um, uh, for the recall and in, in, in order to remove us from office. And I say us because it's not individually directed at me. It's directed at what we've been able to achieve through this fighting approach that we've used as a Marxist elected office.
So I want to go back a little bit to some of the, you know, more specifics about the process. Um, so, you know, election day in the U.S. unfortunately is not a day that we get off from work, um, but everybody votes the same day. And this year it's November 2nd. But Emily, this vote is not happening on election day. It's happening during a special election, which sometimes we do, you know, we do do special elections. But this was, you know, a, a decision made by the recall campaign. Can you go a little bit more into why they would want to have the vote happening when we're not normally voting? Right. Uh, so our election, as you said, it's not just in December, but because we have mail-in voting here in Washington, it also means ballots are going out just a few days before Thanksgiving, uh, the second biggest holiday basically here in the US. Um, and yeah, that wasn't an accident. Uh, there's the general election in November where here in Seattle, ordinary people will turn out to vote for a new mayor and city council positions. Uh, but, and the recall actually could have been on this ballot. Uh, they'd collected enough signatures to do so in time for the deadline to make it. Uh, instead though, they chose to sit on those signatures, turning them in at the end of September in hopes of engineering maximum voter suppression, right? So they didn't want to end up on a February ballot either where other people would be turning out to vote on some school district measures. Um, they wanted it to happen square in the middle of the holidays. Um, and why? Uh, you know, just like we're seeing voter suppression all across the country in the U.S., um, you know, I think people hear about it in Texas and Arizona, and they don't expect it to happen here in liberal Seattle. Um, but, you know, Logan laid out in the last question kind of what's at stake for big business here. Um, and they're hoping because they haven't been able to beat uh, Kshama in a ordinary election three times in a row now, right? Uh, with we have maximum uh, high vote record turnout. Um, but they're hoping with this special winter election uh, that uh, renters, young people, students, people of color, that they won't vote. Um, that you know those people uh, are busy, that they're not expecting a holiday special election, that if they've moved during the tumultuous last year and a half, they'll miss this unexpected ballot which is coming in through their mailbox. Um, but as Marxists, you know, foresight over astonishment, right? So we're preparing for this uh, in the best way that we can uh, to counteract the right-wing voter suppression. That's why we're building the biggest get-out-the-vote operation Seattle has ever seen. And of course, the biggest one before that was also our 2019 election campaign. Um, but we're out in the neighborhood constantly signing people up uh, to talk to their friends, coworkers, and neighbors about how important this election is. Um, and we'll be doing thousands of shifts over the next seven weeks where we knock on people's doors and set up tables in the community to talk to people about defending the voice for working people in City Hall and how urgent it is for them to get those ballots turned in. The recall election date is set for December 7th, and I think the, the date is not a logistical occurrence by any means. I think it's really important for all of your audience, national and international, to understand that from the very beginning, from its very inception, this is extremely political in nature. And the fact that they dodged the regular November election when you have mayoral and city council candidates and other important ballot initiatives on the ballot, they have chosen a, uh, an election which falls between Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays itself is uh, just uh, just reeks of their um, opposition to having a democratic election. And not only have uh, not only is this recall an attempt to have a do-over of, as you said, the democratic election that we won in 2019. 
it's um, it's incredible to see how every institution under capitalism has colluded to make this December 7th election happen, including the Washington State Supreme Court, which with no explanation at all, sat on the ruling for whether they should go on the ballot or not for over three months, essentially opening the door for the recall campaign to have this uh, election that is going to be favorable, election date that is going to fav be favorable for wealthy people and predominantly white and wealthy people uh, whereas renters, ordinary people, working people, communities of color are less likely to vote in these unusual elections. So that means that the challenge for us to get out the vote is that much more immense. It's uh, almost as if they are afraid that if uh, people actually go and vote, they would lose, you know. Uh, it's, it's actually ridiculous to see how much effort they're putting into making sure that democracy doesn't actually happen. It, when demo in, in the few bits that democracy works, you know, uh, the, the way that bourgeois democracy works now actually can help working class people suddenly ma they're making it more and more difficult for working class people to actually cast a vote and get what they want. And it's absolutely disgusting. Um, but I want to ask Logan, because you mentioned at the start of this episode about the carpenter strike. And I've been reading a little bit about it. And it was really interesting to hear, first of all, more about it. But also, how does that connect to uh, our campaign with Shama? Um, yeah, in Seattle, uh, you know, carpenters in, in Western Washington just came off a three week strike where rank and file members had to take on not only the contractor bosses, but their own union leadership. Chama didn't just follow the leadership that was selling out their members so as not to anger, you know, the labor bureaucracy. Uh, instead, she used her office to actively organize with the fighting rank and file around their specific demands for family wages, fully funded benefits, and paid parking, which can average $20 to $30 a day, which basically for us, that means the first hour you show up, you're just paying back that parking. Uh, it's essentially being taxed to go to, go to work. And rank and file carpenters saw the way that their leadership, you know, they had to drag them kicking and screaming uh, through, you know, four votes on uh, rejecting con proposed contracts, um, you know, uh, and, and how the leadership then came into the strike with, with a, you know, a, an, a, an approach that was actively sabotaging and undermining uh, the strike. And they took necessary independent action. Um, shutting down as many job sites as they could because stopping production and thereby stopping the profits of the bosses is the only way to win a strike. Chama was shoulder to shoulder on the picket lines and used her office to raise the demands of this movement. And now her office has introduced legislation for contractors to fully pay for parking for all construction workers in the city, uh, a demand that the union leadership has failed to deliver on. And, you know, we're petitioning outside job sites to organize construction workers to fight for and win this. And, you know, this is how socialists need to support and actively build labor struggles, pushing forward the militant initiative of workers, uh, because this is how that we can rebuild the fighting labor movement that workers and youth so desperately need in this era of deepening and multiplying crisis that the ruling class intends to make us pay for. And yeah, that that upsets the apple cart, you know, when instead you're, you know, instead of just going to, to the leaders who are being paid, you know, uh, outlandish salaries uh, and are disconnected from the rank and file members, uh, instead of going to them and saying, you know, oh, whatever you say, I'll just do whatever you say. You know, we we uh, 
we break the, the rules of convention, right? Much like the bosses tell workers not to talk about their pay, you know, we're told in the trades not to talk to each other. Workers are told not to get collectively organized and do what it takes to win. And having someone in office that's willing to, to, to say, no, talk about your wages. No, let's get organized. No, let's fight, uh, you know, and, and, and win by whatever it's going to take to do that. Um, represents uh, a danger to you know those in society who have power, who have pro- you know who want to make profit at our expense. Sometimes I feel like that conversation about what people have, what elected officials, what you know political leaders have to put themselves through, is overly centered over the harms that are being experienced by millions of people every single day, and we can lose sight of that. And when the rhetoric of what ordinary people are going through is coupled or is deployed by political leaders to motivate certain kinds of actions and, frankly, to motivate compromise, to justify compromise, it becomes really disgusting. I got to be honest. Uh, and the cynicism of that is some, somewhat, some, uh, in some ways too much to bear. Yes, we should be holding elected representatives to high standards. And, and I also want to be clear, we are not, at least I am not, when I think of, uh, you know, le- holding leaders accountable and holding them to high standards, I'm not just talking about Congress members or city mm. council members, something like that. We're also talking about elected officers in the labor movement. Mm. We're talking about unelected, but clearly people who are playing, playing a leadership role in social movements, like in mm. the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Well, oh. I, that, that labor point, I think, is important because part of why I asked that question wasn't just to be like, you know, the the progressives aren't doing what they need to be doing. But there is some question as to whether or not labor would deploy if asked at all, given the capture that exists at the head of a lot of these kinds of uh, institutions. Oh, yeah. And in fact, the I would say the labor leaders have been missing in action right now. I mean, why aren't they mobilizing uh, the, you know, hundreds of thousands of union members, if not millions, around the nation in order to uh, push for the maximum possible potential and, you know, really put pressure on uh, uh, Biden, Christian Cinema, and on Joe Manchin. Uh, and I think uh, you, you have to, uh, uh, alongside calling out the deficiencies in what the progressive con- Congress members have done, we also have to point out the deficiencies of the labor leaders as well. And, you know, they're, they're sort of the progressive leaders in every realm are sort of busy giving each other cover. And then, uh, and then you know, basically uh, it is presented in a personalized uh, standpoint that, well, it's very hard to do. You know, you, you can't hold them to such high standards because you've not, never done it. You don't know what kind of hell it is. Well, that's we cannot accept that. We cannot accept that for precisely the reason you said, because... Yes, that is what you are called upon to do. That is what history requires us to do. We are facing an existential crisis uh, as, for, as far as the human race is concerned. We are talking about tens of millions of Americans in the richest country in the world facing untold misery of different kinds, uh, only compounded by the pandemic, by the economic uh, crisis that they experienced. So yes, should we be holding elected leaders to high standards? Absolutely. Do they have an obligation? Absolutely. And I don't want to hear uh, about, oh, well, you know, well, we can't expect everyone to be like you, Shama. You know, this is what we, I, I hear from people. And, and that is why we have to really push back against personality-oriented politics. It should not be seen as, oh, some rare person can do it. No, what we need are political organizations 
uh, like a working class party that will be accountable to us, where the party, by the power of its membership, by the rank and file, having a real say in what kind of party we want, that by that rank and file power, we can democratically decide this is the kind of campaign we want to run, this is the kind of candidate we want to have, and we are going to, within the party, choose democratically choose candidates who are up for that job and if they do, if they prove deficient then we you know i i'm we are not against the idea of recall we're just pointing out that in this case the recall is by big business against working people but yeah. working people absolutely should have the right to recall representatives who have failed them because that is what the system does ultimately the reason bernie sanders was in the oval office you know in that photo op or whatever i don't genuinely don't believe that it's because he wants to aggrandize himself, but it is because people like him believe that this is the best you can do. This is the right. best you can do. This you can't have overthrow capitalism. You can't. You you have to make changes uh, on on the on the periphery. Well, we don't agree with that, and we don't believe that the times call for call for minimal changes. The time call for dramatic and courageous action and that cannot come from personalized politics it can only come from mass action where masses of people have the democratic say in what happens this is so true and i think there's so like right now there's so much happening especially in the u.s like there's so many strikes happening and it's just so important that we get involved in them and that everyone uh, who can get involved in them as well but i wanted to kind of ask one big question, which I think this leads me on to very well, which is we're hearing a lot about this recall campaign. We're hearing so much about uh, how important it is to fight against this right-wing attempt to curb the power of the working class, basically. Um, but what can we do? If we're not directly in Seattle right now, what can we do to actually uh, you know, support this campaign? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a huge lift ahead of us um, and it's only going to get more stark, right? Uh, we know that there's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in corporate cash coming into this race from PACs, which will spew right-wing talking points in the form of mailers, TV ads, web ads, etc. cetera. Um, and yeah, if people are watching this and they're feeling inspired, you know, we don't have CEOs backing our campaign. We wouldn't accept it if they did. But what we do have is over 8,000 individual donors to our campaign. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you can also donate to this campaign at shamasolidarity.org. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the maximum is $1,000 that you can give, but the vast majority of people give something more like $25 to our campaign. We accept donations of five cents all the time because ordinary people don't have a ton to spare, but whatever they do, they want to invest into this campaign. So yes, uh, if you're a US citizen anywhere, um, you can donate to this campaign. You can also volunteer, even if you're not on the ground here in Seattle, um, you can sign up on that same website. Um, uh, and do, you know, you could phone bank for us, but there's even small things like posting on social media about this campaign and how important it is, um, uh, is a huge lift for our work here on the ground, just spreading our message. You know, corporate media outlets like the Seattle Times, like the New York Times, they're not interested in covering our perspective, right? And so we have to fight to the nail. I mean, that's why you guys, that's why we have this world to win show, right? Is so we can get 
our analysis out there um, and sharing that message more broadly so that more ordinary people everywhere and especially those with growing socialist con consciousness feel ownership over winning this fight, feel like they know what's at stake. That puts us, you know, we're just so much more equipped to win uh, if there are a broader layer of people who are following this fight and feel like it's theirs to win. Yeah, Emily, I saw that, you know, the right wing recall campaign even spent some of that CEO money to fly a plane across the city with a, a you know, a banner behind it that said recall Sawant. Like, what a great use of funds. Like, it, it's absolutely insane the length that they're willing to go. It's not like there's a climate crisis or anything. No, they're flying across, you know, Seattle. They're bringing movie stars up to space. Like, what's next? But um, if you want to, and you should, share, um, you know, messages on social media so that we can spread the word a little more, um, we have in the description below the links to all the social media so you can share it, you know, especially for those who can't financially give to the campaign. Spreading the word is just as important. Um, but Logan, money, social media, is there anything else that people can do to really help this fight? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, Sham is a member of uh, the same organization that, that I am and that Emily is, a Socialist Alternative. Um, and so, yeah, I would encourage anyone watching this with excitement, you know, uh, who's, you know, watching a world on fire and wondering, you know, <laughs> how do we put this out, right? And as, as Fred Hampton uh, said, you know, uh, you fight fire with water, right? You fight racism with solidarity, you fight uh, uh, capitalism with socialism. And so I would encourage you to reach out to Socialist Alternative uh, if you're in the United States uh, or the International Socialist Alternative, which is our international organization, uh, if you're in another country. Um, you know, global capitalism is scrambling to offset the costs of, of climate change and the pandemic to the shoulders of the rest of us. And we need to be organized and fighting internationally if we're going to take on the bosses and win a socialist world. Thank you so much, guys, for, excuse me, coming on our show today. It was great to see you and hopefully we'll have you on again real soon. Um, and good luck out there. This was so interesting and I'm, I'm so excited always to hear about what our comrades are doing uh, around the world and especially when it comes to uh, Sharma because I feel like everywhere around the world when you say her name to anyone who knows her, she is such an inspiration. Um, so um, I re really enjoyed this episode but I want to go now to the shout out of the week and we're going to move swiftly away from the US to Belgium when there was a massive protest of 70,000 people uh, in Brussels against climate change. And we've seen that as one of the biggest uh, protests after a really big movement in 2019 that obviously due to COVID uh, had to go down. But we're seeing now, you know, the, the potential of this movement to come back massively. Uh, and it's obviously a great way to lead us to COP26. Actually, um, our members uh, who intervened uh, managed to uh, get some money to help send people from Belgium uh, for our intervention in Glasgow in November. And uh, it, there's going to be a major delegation from Belgium, but uh, generally from all around the world uh, in uh, COP26. And this 
protests was amazing. I, I think that it's clear to everyone around the world why we need to protest uh, against climate change. Uh, we keep hearing how individual actions and, you know, if we just don't use uh, plastic straws and uh, bring our own keep cup to places, then uh, everything will be fine. But we know instinctively that it's not going to be fine. We're seeing just how much action is needed and how little is being done. So it's no surprise at all, as much as it is incredible, it's no surprise at all that so many people find this subject so important to, uh, you know, fight about. Uh, and we had a really impressive block from both uh, the Rosa campaign and the Active Left students in Belgium. Uh, and there were there was not just a block in the demo, there's also, uh, uh, they were also talking uh, specifically about the impact of capitalism uh, when it comes to the climate and the need for a socialist alternative. So, uh, so amazing to see that. Um, These photos are absolutely uh, uh, impressive and beautiful. And again, I want to remind everyone that if you're seeing those protests in Belgium and you're inspired and you're feeling the heat, uh, no pun intended, to go and fight against climate change, then we are going to have a massive international intervention in Glasgow uh, for COP26. So uh, go on our website and sign up to come and join us uh, on our delegation. It's going to be amazing. And don't forget to say hello to me as well, because I'll be there. So that's it for this week. Uh, see you very soon with another episode of World to Win. And of course, don't forget that you can watch it either on YouTube or listen to it on every podcast platform. We're on the seven big ones uh, and uh, sure, uh, and we're also on loads of the smaller ones as well. So make sure that you subscribe both on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see you soon. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!